It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast brought to you by the South Carolina Department of Education's personalized learning team. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Beach, and today I am joined by two very special guests, We have with us today, Kristen Logan from the Office of Personalized Learning and Coach Eric Gambrell from Batesburg-Leesville High School. Welcome to both of you all. I'm gonna give you a moment to introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about who you are, and then we'll jump into the conversation. So I'm Eric Gambrell, Assistant Principal and Athletic Director at Batesburg-Leesville High School. I'm a 1997 graduate of Batesburg-Leesville. did a little work in the low country in Berkeley County as dropout prevention uh, specialist and had some fun there and was able to come back home and, and make, make a difference in my hometown. So it's been great. And I am Kristen Logan. As Carrie said, I'm one of the coaches in the Office of Personalized Learning, and I get to serve the Midlands region of the state. If you have not checked out our last episode, we have just started a new series that we're entitling Flexibility in Fences. And today specifically, we want to touch on the barrier of time. Before we actually jump into that topic, Eric, I'd like to ask you to share how your school got started with their personalized learning journey. So we have a pretty good situation. We all came in as new administration to this school. So Ms. Bryan is our principal. Um, She actually taught me in the 90s, late 90s here. So she was very familiar with this community and this school. And Dr. Roberts um, also came in, and all three of us started out as administrating staff together at this school. I was already here as a teacher, but um, not as administrator. So when we came in, we had an idea of exactly what we wanted to do. Uh, We wanted to put the student first in every single thing. That was our non-negotiable, and it started from Ms. Bryant. And uh, thankfully, we had the support from the district. So putting that student first and make sure that they were the center of attention and the personalized learning wasn't really done on purpose, I guess is the best way to say. Uh, but then as uh, the few years went by, it it became the main idea. Awesome. Awesome. So when you guys were first getting started, what was, I guess, the first step that you made in that student-centered direction? I'm just asking, just in case there's anyone listening and they're at the beginning of their journey as well. Sure. So we were, I'm not shy to say, we were a very adult-centered uh, school, uh, me being part of that. So I was I was also a part of that. And it worked out pretty well if you were the adult. So for a student, you know, they would have to stay after school or come early or, or something like that. So one of our main things, uh, it was other places use what they call power hour. Um, we call it halftime. And it's just that center of the day where the teacher has the ability to help the student one-on-one uh, during our lunchtime. Um, we use the hour and um, we just separate it. And there's a lot of things to make it work, but we have roughly about 45 faculty members and we try to make sure that you know, we cover four days. There is a fifth day where we have two traditional lunches and, and without the, the power hour or halftime. So that, getting the logistics done behind that so it can make it work and setting up a time where the students didn't have to stay after, come early, and neither did the teachers. So everything was in, uh, in, inside of the school day. So it was equal to all. I think we're going to dig a little bit more into that halftime because I think that's an awesome model 
that a lot of schools and districts could potentially replicate. Going back to our topic, the barrier of time, because that's a, a big barrier that we encounter as coaches in this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Eric, we know that you've been a part of the team from the beginning, you know, just trying to reimagine and remove barriers for teachers and students around time. So could you tell us a little bit more on the, I guess, the background thinking behind halftime and how you were able to find flexibility within the confines of time specifically? Right. So we have roughly around 500 students, anywhere from 500 to 550 students, and 200 of those students ride the bus. Um, Another probably 150 uh, come in cars and then the rest drive or, or ride with someone else that drives. So the flexibility of having students outside of school hours was a problem. It just wasn't equitable. It wasn't something, you know, uh, we have 300 plus students that are involved in after school activities. Um, so it's just not, it wasn't fair across the board. When you have a student here at the school, everything is equal. When Once they leave the school, some people go home to, you know, parents that say, get your work done. Some people don't go home. So we have that all in between uh, within our school. So we had to find a time within the day. Now, we're pretty blessed here at Batesburg-Leesville where we are the only high school in our district. Um, so when it comes to making times work, we could be a little bit more flexible with the start time and the end time. So we know how many minutes you have to have in a class. It's roughly about, we're on a traditional block schedule. So you have to have at least like 84 minutes. Everybody chooses to go 90. So we had the flexibility to go within that. Um, and and also transitional time. And then actually when you do the one lunch, um, you lose your transition time in between. So it's really not that big of a difference once you start playing with the time uh, during the during the day. So we're on a traditional block schedule. We do two, two blocks. Uh, we do our halftime and then we do two more blocks. So our, our school day goes from 810 to 310. And we have it built in where it's roughly about 90 minutes um, with a five to seven minute transition in between classes. Okay. Now tell us a little bit about the student user experience of halftime. So how are students onboarded into this model? And then what's their experience in this model based on their needs? Right. So be very transparent and honest. Our first year doing it, we didn't know how to do it. So it started out where the teachers uh, assigned halftime. And, you know, it, and we had all kinds of different reasons, but it became, some teachers were using it. just like, all right, we didn't get through this, so everybody come back for halftime. And then we had to step in as administration and be like, all right, that's not the point of it. The point of it is to help the ones that, you know, it's not extra class time. It is time to help the students that weren't able to uh, get it during the allotted time. And there's some hard conversation that we had um, you know, 90 minutes for 90 days, that's a lot of hours to get information in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, m- me personally, with the dropout prevention background, uh, homework data doesn't show success across the board. So one of our big pushes is not to give any work outside of the school day. And a lot of teachers, you know, we had backlash from that just because it's, it's habitual. You know, it's one of those things where, all right, I didn't get to this. Let's go ahead and assign it for homework. Well, I'll just speak for myself. You know, I know I have three children of my own and right after school, they're going to sports. They're there until probably, I don't know, seven o'clock and then they come home. My children come home to 
I like to think a good house where mom and dad are telling them, get your work done. Uh, several of our students leave the practice field and go straight to work. So they're not getting home to 10, 11 o'clock. And kudos to them because they're finding time to get that homework done, or they were finding time. Now with halftime, it, it gives them that extra opportunity during the day. So at first, we struggled. We, we had teachers assign it, and if the students didn't go, we treated it as a disciplinary uh, referral. And that was horrible because the kids didn't view it as, you know, they didn't take ownership in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second semester, we completely got rid of that. We scratched it all together, and we turned it over to the students. Uh, we told the teachers you couldn't use it, you know, outside of just extra help. And we put it in their hand and said, students, this is for you. Um, and for the most part, they bought in and, and did what they needed to do. Now, we have our tier one, tier two, tier three students. So our tier three students um, with MTSS, as administrative staff, we were actually going to them at lunch and saying, hey, you have this in this class. You need to make sure you go see you know, your teacher. Uh, so we were physically going to get them. Um, in the lunchroom and telling them to go. So that that that, that is helpful. That was helpful um, that first year. And after that, it became a routine. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because we do halftime is two 25-minute sessions. So the bell, we actually have a bell that rings in between. And you'll see kids get up and then go to classes. And then you'll see other kids coming in the cafeteria that were just in a class. So it's pretty good when you start seeing that. And a lot more movement happens around the nine weeks grading period than others. But it's just part of the regular school day. So tell me a little bit about some of the benefits that you all have seen from that reimagining how you kind of structure your day and and making time for halftime. So I handled the discipline at the school and, you know, like I said, dropout prevention. So my biggest fear coming in was we got all the students going to lunch at once. We're going to have so many disciplinary action, you know, problems. Um, and knock on wood, we had three fights our first year doing it. And only one of those was during halftime for the whole year. So that was fewer than the previous years. Mm. Um, we keep them busy and we keep the kids occupied with, and we actually, we have more adults on, on duty too. So when you're scheduling it, you know, half of the adults are in their classroom. Well, actually a fourth of the adults are in the classroom. A fourth of the adults are, um, on duty. The other half are eating lunch, and then we flip it the the second time, our second half. So we have a large amount of people on duty. Uh, so that that is also very helpful. We have space outside so the kids can run and get a lot of things done. So we actually saw a drop in discipline mm. um, our first year after lunch because a lot of the students got energy out. They were playing soccer. They were you know throwing football, frisbee, whatever they needed to do, running around. So that was. Pretty interesting how that data actually dropped after lunch period um, or periods prior to that. Now, you mentioned data. So I want you to tell us a little bit about how you're collecting that data. And you spoke to it in the fact that you're not just collecting data just to be collecting it. It's meaningful in a way to kind of share the story. So how are you guys going about collecting data to show the benefits of halftime? So we have QR codes on every teacher's door. Um, and when the students enter for halftime, they have to scan a QR code. Uh, be honest, a lot of kids didn't want to do this at first, and understandably so. But 
we, we use it in numerous different ways. We didn't set it up this way, but I, after that first year, we noticed that some students just wasn't going to some teachers. So we were giving them extra duty and that upset them. And our thing was, well, if you're not having kids in there, then there's no purpose for you to just sit in your room and nobody's going, oh, I have kids, but they're not scanning in. Well, you have to, we, so going through that, um, we now have that, that it's, it's just become a routine where they can scan that QR code um, once they're in there. And on the back end of it, you know, handle discipline, a lot of times discipline coincides with grades. Uh, so if I'm talking to a parent, I can pull up the, the, you know, the form and say that, you know, your child actually has got a 37 or 56 or whatever in this class. They've only gone to halftime twice. They need to be going there more. So we have that data where we can have that open conversation with the parent as well. Or the student, even the student when they're in here, look, why aren't you using this? I see you in the cafeteria. You need to be going. So little things like that. That data is very helpful. Um, Trying to be proactive instead of reactive, mm-hmm. I guess, is the best way to say it. You have it up front so the kids know that you, you have the ability to pull it and see it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing about halftime. Um, if you have not heard about halftime, it is an excellent model, as I'm sure you've heard Eric share. Um, and so to kind of continue the conversation, uh, Kristen, I, I'd like to kick this question to you. Um, what are some other ways that you've seen or heard of um, maximizing time within a student-centered uh, educational setting? What are some models or structures that work best? And Eric, you can feel free to chime in if there's any examples that you could think of too. Well, when I think about looking at maximizing time, sometimes it's first about asking the right questions. For example, um, if we're thinking about inside the classroom, we would encourage teachers to figure out what their time requirements are for how long they have to do something in a given class period. And if so, for how long and, and who's requiring it? And then maybe asking why it's required respectfully. And what would you like to do instead? Like, what are you thinking of doing that you feel like can't be done? And seeing if there's somebody in your context Um, that you can talk about creating flexibility uh, with the time. And so, you know, for example, I think about if if you're elementary, do you chunk your minutes by content area? Do you have to do that? Or can you create some interdisciplinary opportunities? We've seen several uh, South Carolina teachers who use their 90-minute blocks of of reading time to not only teach reading skills, but then they sort of infuse the science and social studies content into what they're reading. And so it, it allows for more flexibility and gives them more time in their day. We've also seen examples of South Carolina middle school teachers getting flexible with time um, by leveraging um, their house model. We have some schools, if you're not familiar with the house model, it's where a, a group of four or five core teachers, they share a set of kids. And so each core teacher might have, according to the master schedule, 60 minute blocks of time. But instead of only thinking of their 60 minutes, they might partner up with one of their um, house model uh, teachers. And so like the math and science teacher might get together. And instead of thinking of that 60 minutes, they think of 120 minutes. And then they start thinking about which of our kids in that 120 minutes needs more math or science time. So just kind of thinking outside of the box, asking those questions. Um, The other thing is a lot of times we hear um, that when it comes to maximizing time that actually some teachers may actually have permission to be flexible in their classrooms, but they just feel like that there just isn't enough time in the day, right? Um, And so one possible thing to think about is 
how are you currently spending your time? You know, we know teachers are super busy and they work really hard and, and we appreciate all that y'all do. Um, but maybe do an autopsy of, of the time that you spend in your class, like on a given day or a series of days and think about like how much time are you doing kind of the talking or the doing and how much of the time are your students engaging and interacting with the learning? Typically, what we have seen that's been successful is like a 20% of the time is sort of that mini lesson or introduction, you know, piece. 60% is kids engaging in their own learning at the appropriate level. And then 20% is that reflection and synthesis. And those percentages can work in a 60-minute block, a 90-minute block, you know, just kind of thinking, breaking it down that way. And if you're doing a workshop model or station rotation, you can use that work time as the time to meet your kids' needs through small group lessons and conferencing. So in terms of maximizing time in a classroom, those are the things that I would definitely kind of encourage people to think about. I love all those examples. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kristen. What are some things that you think school leaders should keep in mind regarding being more flexible with time? Be precious with it. You know, anytime... For example, at our school, we we have a large dual enrollment um, enrollment in our students. So that takes place in the first and second period. Uh, we try to make sure we're aware of that. Um, we have a large number of seniors that have early dismissal. So if we are going to make our announcements, do our drills, do everything during that third block when we have all our students, you need to allot for a little bit of extra time in the in the scheduling. So if it's one minute a day, that's, you know, it adds up to 90 minutes. That's a whole day's worth of extra um, time that you could do that way. So kind of be, um, understand when kids uh, might not, you know, right after lunch is not a good time to have the, the biggest, best class because they're still calming down from lunch. Uh, also early in the morning is not, they're still waking up or at the very end of the day. So try to be cognizant of that in the scheduling where you do give a little bit more time um, in that. But the on our end is listen. Uh, our principal does a very good job. We have at least once a month, we have a PD session where we lead it, but we allow our teachers to lead it. So we listen to them. You know, their, their ideas are going out. Also, we have what's called BLT, uh, Building Leadership Team. Everyone's invited. You have a voice. So if you need something to say, that's the time to have it. Um, so we try to give our teachers as much voice as possible, because like I said, it's, you know, even though all of us have been in the classroom as administrators, you tend to forget those things. Your mind just shifts to a different area. So you tend to forget some of those things. And, and when your teachers are telling you, listen, and a lot for that in your decisions. Mm. Awesome. Kristen, anything to add to that? Yeah, well, I love that idea of giving voice. And I think paired with that, the other thing I think about is um, is just giving permission for the teachers to take risks with the flexibility, making sure they know that they have permission. Um, and as their leader, you know, if you're not sure, um, obviously, Eric, like I know you're, you guys have, you know, uh, been able to move mountains. And but if there's a leader out there who's like, oh, I don't know if this is OK, maybe, you know, seek out one of your district leaders and ask some of those questions I mentioned earlier, like what are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? And who says and why? And that kind of thing. Find out what those barriers are and try to, you know, your best to remove as many as you can for the teachers and students. And so like. One example of removing um, barriers has to do with examining that master schedule that Eric was talking about, like just kind of thinking about what can be done. Um, there's lots of schools who maybe don't do something quite as big as Batesburg-Leesville High School, but they do something small where they find like 
one tiny chunk of time where it's like at the universal level school-wide where they um, have crew or empower or win or which is called what I need time. Um, but the idea is, is similar to that, um, that, that, you know, hour where they get a chance to get the support they need. Um, and so, you know, finding ways to, to fit that time in. We've even seen some um, South Carolina middle school uh, middle schools who found a way to create four 60-minute blocks of back-to-back uninterrupted class time. Um, and that even just that allows for the possibility of flexibility, even if people aren't ready yet. Um, it just kind of houses it all in one, um, one place. And I would say regardless of what grade band you teach, whether you're, you know, K through 12, another thing that we've seen um, is where if you have two teachers who are teaching the same subject area at the same time, so for example, two Algebra 1 teachers, and they look at their two sets of kids actually as one set of kids, then they can kind of create flexible groups between the two. So maybe I'm going to teach a small group on this particular lesson on this day because these kids need it and, and you're going to, you know, go do another, you know, that kind of thing. So we can share our kids. Um, and of course, if you want to go big um, with that master schedule, we also have some other South Carolina schools that use the flex mod scheduling, which is just a, um, a bigger way of creating smaller pockets of time throughout the day as opposed to one, you know, standard set time. So there's lots of things you can do. But like Eric said, like, listen, give voice to your teachers and, and make sure they know they have permission. Thank you, Kristen, for sharing that. All of this kind of goes back to something that you said at the beginning, Eric, which was that you guys made a decision at your school that you were going to keep students first. And I think all the actions that you've shared or all the initiatives that you've shared very much align with that. Yeah, and this is honest. Our first year coming in, we had a student that just sat near and dear to our heart, but he was a he was a doozy of a student, if it makes sense. But he was ours. Like um, we have one primary, one elementary, one middle, one high. So he had gone through our whole system. And as much as we they aggravate us, that is our product. So our first year, time and time again, we said is this going to reach the, and we would say his young man, his name. So we would say, well, will that work for such and such? And it's that constant reminder, 10% at the top, no matter what, they're going to excel. And then you have about 10% at the bottom that are going to struggle no matter what you do. It's that 80% in the middle. So our, our thing is trying to find what, what not only helps the top and the bottom, because a lot of times they get all the attention, but that 80% in the middle. So that young man um, like I said, that we love to death, but he aggravated the mess out of us. How do we reach him? So a lot of the decisions are, is this going to work for such and such? And that's even with hires. You know, when you go to hire a teacher, they could be great on every aspect, but can they reach such and such? Are they capable of, of reaching, you know, this young man? And so that I laugh because, you know, he's gone on and done well for himself, but it's one of those things where you just literally have to think about, you know, student-centered, is this going to work for our students here at Batesburg-Leesville? And everybody's different. You know, you know, you go look at, I was in a low country, so Wando High School, I mean, you're like 4,000 plus students. There's no way that Wando and, and Batesburg-Leesville can be similar in their approach to everything because it just won't work for each school. But figure out what works best for you and talk to your students too, because they'll tell you. I mean, they'll be some of the first ones to say, you know, why are we doing this? This doesn't make sense. I got to go here. I got to go over there. So, uh, letting them have voice. Uh, we do that as well. We don't silence them to an end, but we let them have voice. Now, in a lot of cases or in some cases within a school day, 
there are factors that seem out of an educator's control or even leaders. um, And time obviously is one of those factors. So what would be your response to that? So I feel like I have a theme in this particular podcast episode. It's asking questions, right? So I think I would ask that person who feels like they don't have control, whether they're an educator or a leader, I think I would ask them to examine like what is actually in their sphere of influence. Like there's a lot of things that are out of our control, but find out what is in your control and then kind of figure out, you know, well, what are those non-negotiables that are a part of our daily schedule that is in my class or in in the building? What are those non-negotiables? Because then you can use that as a jumping off point. Um, If you know what those non-negotiables are, then you can maybe ask who has put those non-negotiables in place because one or more of those things is a a barrier. And, And just like Eric mentioned earlier, kind of about habitual things that we always do, you know, maybe we've always done something a certain way like scheduling, but we haven't stopped to ask why we're doing it this way. And maybe there's actually someone you could talk to and have a conversation with to, to make some shifts. Um, and we just, nobody's ever asked, right? Um, so I think I would just say for anybody who's feeling like um, they, there's things out of their control that they that they wish they could change, start asking some questions, finding out who's making decisions. Again, always be respectful, but just, you know, like push a little bit because um, I have a feeling, you know, the more you ask, you'll actually find out there are things you can can do um, and just need to find the right people to ask the right question. Awesome. Eric, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it's a mindset. You know, I taught U.S. history and they were, now there's eight standards, but there was 10 standards when I taught. And, it, it, you know, the mindset that I had was I got to get to the end. That 10th standard must be taught. And I think as a teacher, we lose the idea, okay, are they learning standards one and two before I go to three? So, you know, changing the mindset and, you know, getting the understanding that we will learn. And and this is where personalized learning steps in so huge because, you know, when you're teacher-centered, everything is on your schedule. So, okay, today we are going to do standard one. When we finish standard one, we'll have that, you know, summative assessment, and then we'll move to standard two. Well, not every student moves at the same pace. So coming in and having validity to your grades where it actually shows that the student is learning. Um, halftime has been huge with validating our grades because students have an opportunity to come back to a previous lesson or, or summative or whatever, my formatives or whatever it might be. They have an opportunity to come back and learn it, not relearn it, but actually learn it for the first time because the class has moved on to something else. And, you know, some students have the ability to go even faster where they can come in. Um, So building a model that the mindset shifts to where learning is the, you know, the foundation, not necessarily getting to the end Mm. or finishing that, you know, whatever the, the state standard may say, if you get the standard 10, but they haven't learned, but standard two and six, it's not going to help you on the EOC. So if you're learning standard one, two, three, four, and you you only get to seven, well, then you're only missing three standards, but seven are done very well. I don't know that sounds horrible, but the get the individual learning of each individual students uh, is the most important. So it's changing that mindset where not only, okay, I'm at this standard now, but where are we as a whole and where are the students? 
Well, thank you all so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I know our listeners have just so many ideas and tips and tricks that they've learned from you all. So really excited. Um, My last question for you all, if there's someone listening who wants to get in touch with you to hear more about your journeys or get some support, have a thought partner, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Mine's real easy. E Gambrell at Lex3.org. So uh, easy. Everything's on our Baseburg Leesville High School website, Lexington District 3. Either way, you can find them there. Yeah, be more than happy to reach out. I'm more of a logistical mindset. Dr. Roberts is our assistant principal. She's the one that takes the curriculum and rock and roll. She's phenomenal. Miss Bryant is the big picture person. So she kind of has the, all right, this is our big picture where we're going. So as a team, we have worked very well together just because we have three three different types of minds going going at it. So that's good. Awesome. Awesome. And you can reach me at uh, klogan at ed.se.gov. I would also encourage y'all to um, check out our personalized learning PD page um, on our website. Specifically, our Framework Foundation series is a free self-paced option. And if you go there, one of our modules is all about starting small with flexibility. So I would also say if you don't want, you know, if you don't need a coach at the moment, but you want to look and see what, what's available, I would encourage you to go there. Well, thank you guys once again. We appreciate it. And we'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.se.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!